guys' uh, commitment to taking care of the Denny's and things like that. Um, and I was mean to this church because about four years ago, I turned down Clifton's position <laughs> before he graduated. I think I graduated a little bit before him. And then he showed up and they're like, oh, we're glad that Jared guy didn't take the job. We're glad Clifton's here. Um, and you should be. Clifton's, Clifton's doing a great job. Um, this morning, we are getting started on our Walking and Warring series. And I'm sure all kinds of thoughts flood your mind when you hear walking and warring, when you hear spiritual warfare, that kind of stuff. And we'll get to addressing some of those, those thoughts and questions. This morning is going to be a little bit more of just kind of a preview of what the rest of the weekend is going to be like. Um, I'm essentially going to just show you, here's what the rest of the sermons are going to be based on, here's what their main ideas are going to be. But I think what we need to do today on Saturday um, is it's going to be a little gloomy. It's going to be a little challenging. It might even feel a little dark at times. But I'm setting you up for something sweet tomorrow. Um, today, this morning, I need to challenge you to ask the question. Is this hot? Do I need to hold it closer? What would you like? All right. I can talk like this for the rest of the time. That would really get people to listen to Anyways, um, I need to challenge you guys to think about have you ever thought about the Christian walk as a war? Maybe you have. Maybe, maybe you catch me by surprise, but it's not the type of language we hear very often among Christians. That this is, this is a war we're in. This is a warfare that we need to take part of, uh, take part in. So I want to challenge you, that's kind of my goal this morning, is just to get you thinking maybe a little bit differently about your spiritual walk than you've thought of before. I'm not telling you to change anything about what you know about the Christian life and about the gospel. However, there might be a dynamic of our spiritual walk and our spiritual thinking, especially as it relates to the gospel, that maybe is often missing um, from our lives. And I don't bring that up for no reason. I bring it up because if we grasp this, I think an, an element, a dynamic of our ability to walk with Christ faithfully is automatically added to our spiritual tool belt. Um, and more than that, more than that, I'll show you tomorrow a little bit more, or tonight. More than that, Scripture tells us to think of the Christian walk as warfare. I could, tomorrow or tonight, I can't remember which, which passage it's in, which sermon it's in. Boom. How's that? We'll see how it goes. I'm just going to go and you work your path. There's the magic. <laughs> Scripture tells us to think this way about the Christian walk. It is a walk, and it is a warfare. The warfare part is hard for us to think about sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping this weekend to help you help you think about that a little bit more. Uh, but this morning, I'm just going to give you a preview. Um, I'm going to read the passage in just a minute here. Um, but let me let me pray first, and uh, here's just kind of the, the title of this morning's message. It doesn't has a doesn't have as much of like a, a big idea or a main idea, a main point. The rest of the messages will, um, but this is a preview. So here's the title: the struggle is real. That just sits in your mind for a second. The struggle is real. The spiritual struggle is real. This is a preview of of walking and warring. Uh, let me pray, and we'll get going. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we come to the source of life itself. The source of knowledge of life, wisdom about life comes only from your word, Lord. These truths that I'm seeking to explain to these young men and women here, Lord, they are not mine. They are yours. And so, God, I ask for your help during this time to... Be clear for them. God, I ask that your word, as we talk about spiritual warfare, as we talk about how the Christian life is a walk and a war, and they are equally both, it is equally both of those things, Lord, God, that your word, your spirit, would do everything that I'm not able to do. God, I'm just, a, I'm just a voice. This is your word being explained. So would your word work powerfully in the hearts and the minds 
of these young women and men to understand perhaps first of all are they walking with you in the first place for those that are Lord give them assurance give them confidence through this weekend that the gospel is powerful not just for salvation but for life and sanctification and one day glorification bringing us complete to you that you will hold us fast to the end through the war Lord because you have promised to do that and your your son's blood is powerful enough to do that. It is all that we need. These kinds of things, Lord, we ask that you would you'd work in our hearts and minds and more, Lord, that you would do more than we're even imagining you might do this weekend. And pray for students to get saved uh, by uh, maybe a clearer understanding of the gospel than they've had before for some reason. God, I pray that you produce in us a zeal and a passion to look at the lost people in our lives and around us and see that they are in desperate need of rescue from the prisoner war camps they are in. God, that you would send us faithfully to them to make known to them the rescue that is available in Christ through the gospel. God, our lives exist for you. So I pray for any who have not bent the knee to you this weekend that they would. For those who have done that, those who you have already saved and brought into Christ and that you would strengthen them for faithful service to the King. Everybody sings in Christ's name. Amen. Well, IMDB pulls up 379 films with a plot about supernatural powers. 921 films about demons. 241 films about demonic possession specifically. 113 films about good versus evil, which I guess in some cases, you know, in a real sense, that's every movie, good versus evil, to one degree or another. 110 films about paranormal phenomenon. 107 films about the devil. 212 films about ghosts, including your friendly Casper, the friendly ghost. Does anyone know who Casper is? Yeah, okay, good. 156 films about the occult, 136 about evil in general, 109 about supernatural horror, 85 about darkness. Some of these are documentaries, some of them are thrillers, some of them are cheesy, you know. That's 2,190 films since 1911, starting with Dante's Inferno, a classic, and ending with The Deliverance, apparently. Time fills us to speak of many other noteworthy titles, but here's a few. I don't recommend any of these. I haven't seen any of these, so don't go watch them. But here's some titles that stuck out to me. I Possessed, like iPhone, I Possessed. Don't Let It In. Like you hear these titles, you're like, that can't be a good movie. Soul Eater, Name the Demon. It's like a game show, that's what it sounds like. There's one that's just called Smile. That's creepy. Jeepers Creepers, Shriek Show, Kin of Sin, Am I Demon? Bad Candy, Who Was Phone? That's the name of a movie. Russian Submarine, and I like this one because I call my son Benny. Benny Loves You. That's a demonic stuffed animal. Freaky. And of course, in the 2018 dark indie film produced by Panos Cosmatos, the movie Mandy, starring none other than the beloved Nicolas Cage. Yes, sir. People actually like that guy. 6.5 stars out of 10 for my MVP. Again, I've seen none of these movies, but it raises a question. It, it's, it's fascinating to me how, how fascinated our culture and and in America, in America and, and cultures around the world, how fascinated we are with the supernatural, with evil, paranormal activity, demonic realms, these kinds of things. And, and I think it reveals something about us. We could go into this a whole lot, but very simply, I think it reveals something about us, whether or not an individual is willing to admit it or not, we all know that evil is real. Evil exists. There's, how could we possibly question that with all kinds of things going on in the world 
How could we possibly question that with the sinful motives and desires that we know we ourselves have? We know evil exists. And even though some people might be uninformed about these things, some people would admit, yeah, I believe in demons. Others wouldn't. Scripture talks about demons. They're real. And yet, on the other hand, others may simply think ideas like those in those 2200 films I just mentioned. Others might think that those kinds of ideas are simply imagination, make-believe, scary entertainment, but really nothing to be concerned about. Are the stories made up, obviously, of course, but the idea of evil that it exists in each of them, that's real. Evil exists. But which one's better? Believing in evil or not believing in evil? Acknowledging it or, or ignoring it? Which one's better? Neither of them are better, actually. Believing in demonic powers or not believing in demonic powers? Believing in Satan himself or not believing in Satan? Which one's better? Both of them have their, have their risks. C.S. Lewis put it this way. There are two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall about evil, about devils, about Satan and his work. Here's, here's the two opposite but equal errors that we tend to fall into. One is to disbelieve in its existence altogether. Ignore it. No way it's true. I can't relate to it. I can't wrap my mind around it. It can't be true. That's mistake number one. The other mistake is to believe it and... and the believing part isn't the wrong part. We, sh we, we need to believe in this. We need to understand that there's evil. Here's the, here's the risky part. Believing it and then feeling an excessive and unhealthy interest in it. I mean, that's where movies like this come from. An excessive and unhealthy interest in the ideas of, of evil. Here's what it says about Satan or his minions. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors. Satan is, is okay if you don't think he exists. If you don't think evil is a big deal. Satan's okay with that. Because then he can be more sneaky. He's also okay if you're overly fascinated with it. Because that probably piques your fear. And that probably piques your, your just preoccupation with things that you shouldn't be as concerned about. When you could be more focused on things like the gospel. And how to use your life than to be so obsessed with is there a demon around every corner and in every bush. There's not. So you can see why both of those sides of the coin could be erroneous. So what's that saying? What's C.S. Lewis saying to us? Those are two errors we tend to make about the idea of evil. What's that saying? Believe it or not, you and I tend to get it wrong. We tend to think wrongly about the existence of evil and its effect on our lives. Disbelieve the idea of spiritual evil, and you are blindly susceptible to the dangerous activities of evil forces. Disbelieve it altogether, you're blind to what's happening. Believe it, and be overly concerned about it, and you're likely to become so fearful and, and exaggerative or excessively consumed with detecting evil work that you overlook the true nature of how evil works, which is much more subtle, much more sneaky. deep-rooted. So we need a healthy understanding of two things. We need a healthy understanding of the realities of evil in the world. We do need that. It's necessary. To talk, especially talking about walking and warring. We need to know the realities of evil in this world and the danger they pose. The threat that they are. But we equally, and even, I would say more so, need to be have a confident understanding of how God has supplied everything we need to resist this evil, to resist this enemy through the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. And I hope to give you a better understanding of both of these things this weekend. Because we need to talk about evil. We need to talk about the devil. We need to talk about sin and the flesh and temptation and lies and deception. We need to talk about these things. But we need to talk about how Jesus provides deliverance from captivity to those things. So here's the goal of this weekend. 
in light of how much this, this passage, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, uses language concerning spiritual evil and war against spiritual evil, and in light of the fact that the letter of the Ephesians was written to a church, remember that, letters in the Bible, the epistles, and they're always written to a church. They're written to a group of people, not an individual, usually. In light of that, it's written to a church, it's written about war against evil. Here's some things I want you to walk away with this week, uh, this weekend. Some short phrases you should write down. If you are in Christ, Christian, if you are in Christ, you must war with Christ. It's part of the definition of being a Christian. Why, why do I find it necessary to mention that? Because it is so easy to live half-hearted as a Christian. It is so easy to think that so long as I'm not intentionally, actively participating in the worst evils of the world, then I'm probably fine. I hope you see from this weekend that there's always more going on than what we're able to see. That the devil is able to tempt our sin, our flesh is more uh, active than we give it credit for. And so every day is a war, and part of the Christian life is learning how to become more active in that war against the flesh, against sin, against the evil that opposes God's people. If you are in Christ, you must war with Christ. If you are not in Christ, here's another one. If you are not in Christ, you will not survive the war. If you are not in Christ, you will not survive the war. Don't be mistaken. Christians are not the only ones in a war. The difference is Christians know how to fight, and non-Christians are prisoners of war with no way out. If you are not in Christ, you will not survive the war. You will be dominated by sin. You will be overtaken by sin. Your flesh will be your master. And you will die that way. If you are not in Christ, that's how it ends for you. Here's another thing. Everything that's true about the gospel's ability to give you new life in Christ is equally true about the gospel's ability to carry you through life in Christ. What the gospel accomplishes for you in new life, it does the same thing every single day as you go through life. The gospel is our power for every single day faithfulness in walking with the Lord. It doesn't stop once you get saved. You are dependent on it every single day. It's our fuel. The gospel is our fuel. It's our food. It's it's our battery that we need to, to plug in. It's our battery source. Every single day we need to plug in to the gospel. That's the only way we're going to run the way Christ calls us to run. And that life that we live for Christ is to be a life characterized by walking and warring. Walking and warring. All this makes me wonder... Just think to yourself, what do you think of when you hear the phrase spiritual warfare? I don't know what you think about. Could be a lot of things. Makes me wonder, how aware are you? How aware are you of your own flesh? How aware are you of your, your sinful flesh's uh, tendencies to cater to the temptations that the devil can throw our way. Certainly, we're responsible for our sin. We're responsible for our flesh. We're guilty for our sin, but the devil knows how to cater his temptations toward our flesh. How aware are you? Are you how aware are you of those temptations? Of your tendency to play with temptation. And it makes me wonder, are we missing something crucial about the nature of our Christian walk? We need to ask these kinds of questions. Are we missing something? Are we missing a walking and warring mentality? Each of us needs to ask this question. So C.S. Lewis gave two possible mistakes that the Christian can make. I'm going to propose a third. That you and I are probably more likely and more often guilty of. Here's the third mistake that's dangerous that I think we need to consider as it relates to thinking about these things. You're part of a biblical church. I'm part of a biblical church. 
That's good. Right? Every week, Clifton and, and the others who are leading you, they help you seek to be a gospel-centered, Bible-saturated, disciple-making, church-planting, missionary-sending church. Your church teaches the joy of your salvation. Your church teaches the security we have in Christ, the community you can be a part of in Christ, and the hope we can have in eternity. All of which I will take every single day of my life. I need that, and you need that. There's nothing wrong with that. But in our conversations, it may be that at times, as we talk about how real the Christian walk is, we fail to talk about how real the struggle against evil must be at the same time in our walking. So I would ask you guys, you may be walking. I think a lot of you are probably. You may be walking. Great. Praise the Lord. You're walking with Christ. You have a relationship with Christ. You're seeking to obey Him. Praise God. Are you warring with Christ? Are you making war against sin and evil in your life? Do you actually believe there is a battle against evil and sin that you're supposed to be a part of every single day and a battle that you can have victory in? Every church and every Christian needs to ask this. Why am I saying that? Because I get the impression that when we think of spiritual warfare, we hear things like the things about demons and spiritual warfare and, and evil. And these are probably the kinds of thoughts that come to mind for us. Oh, it's, it's, it's probably just some sort of extra intense type of Christianity that the Bible is talking about in those passages. It must be another level of Christianity, a different type of denomination <laughs> that thinks about these kinds of things. Maybe we think those kinds of things. Or maybe you might think it's something that's entirely exaggerated for the sake of special effects. Maybe you think it's overbaked. Maybe you think it's something we don't really even need to take literally when Scripture talks about it. Just kind of breeze over the passages that talk about it, like, ah, I can't really relate to that. I'm going to move on. Probably. I think that's probably how a lot of us handle these kinds of passages that talk about evil, spiritual warfare. Or perhaps we believe there is something true about it, but we're just not sure what the specific application to our lives should be. I have a feeling that's probably the most common situation. You're not doubting God's word, you're not disbelieving it, but you read passages that talk about spiritual warfare and evil and you're like, ah, I don't have to do that. Uh, does that relate to me or does it not? It does. Here's the reality, scripture says, Walking doesn't happen successfully without warring, and warring cannot happen successfully without walking. It can't. The scripture makes something else equally clear. If you are walking and you are warring in Christ, then you have absolutely everything you need to survive the battle to the end and remain standing, if you are in Christ. That is equally crystal clear about the gospel in its relation to spiritual warfare and evil. So this morning, I want to simply introduce you to what's ahead this weekend. At the end of this introduction, I'm going to give you a handful of ways to determine in your life if this wartime mentality is, is missing from your life. We need to ask this question. Young, old, now, 20 years from now, whatever, you need to ask this question. So I'm going to give you some ways to think about that that will challenge you. The struggle is real. We need to believe that. We need to learn what that means. So, suit up. Here we go. Let's do a little bit of a, a foreshadow of where we're going this weekend. Turn to Ephesians 6 if you haven't already. We're going to start in verse 10. I would start in verse 5 and maybe even all the way back to verse 22 of chapter 5 just to show you, like, this passage doesn't just fall out of the air. And, and it's not like it's unapplicable to the rest of the book. The entire book has been about, here's your position in Christ, chapters 1 through 3. And then chapters 4 through 6, here's your practice in Christ. And this passage falls in the practice section. Here's all of your inheritance in Christ. Here's your blessings that you have in Christ. Here's the eternal hope you have in Christ. Now here's how you live in light of it. Just before this passage, it talks about marriage. It talks about mothers and 
fathers and their children. It talks about people at work. It doesn't get much more practical than those kinds of things. And then Paul drops this passage about spiritual warfare. Why? Because it applies to all of those things. It applies to all of those things. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Let's read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take out the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, Paul writing, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I have to speak. So here's the first point of preview for where we're going this weekend. First, you'll need the strength of the Lord for this war. You will need the strength of the Lord for this war. Starting in verse 10. When we see there, the first two commands of this passage, be strong in the Lord, and then in verse 11, put on the armor of God. So these are the first two commands of the whole passage and you'll come to understand what this means as we go through the weekend. But in a general sense, here's what it means. That we need to be strengthened by something other than ourselves. Something from outside ourselves. But we need to put something on in order for that strengthening to happen. We have a part in it. We're strengthened by something else, but we put something on in order for that strength to take its effect. Right? What are we strengthened by? You'll see why this is true as we go through. But we're strengthened by, ultimately, the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. How do we use, utilize this strength? By putting on the armor of Christ. Very simply, we're strengthened by the gospel. How do we utilize that strength? We put on the armor of Christ. And we're going to talk about what that armor is. If you want a definition, here's a really simple definition of what it means to put on the armor of God. Because that's a weird concept. Like, it's not physical. How do I put it on? I've never even worn armor before. What do I do with it? So what does it mean to put on the armor of God? It's this. Very simply. Put it in a very short phrase. Trust it and act on it. That's what it means to put on the armor of God. Trust the armor of God and act on the armor of God. Act with it. More specifically, it means trusting the power of the gospel and acting on the power of the gospel. Every single day. Believing again and again and again every single day. Trusting in the power of the gospel and then acting on the power of that gospel. I mean, we're going to get into what that all means. But it means you believe the gospel is able to do what God says it can do. Do you believe that the gospel is able to do for you on a daily basis what God says it can do? If so... The response to that belief is to take up the armor of God and obey and fight with the gospel. When you do this, you're warring with God's armor. You're warring with God's strength. So in verse 10, it says, be strong. What a funny thing to say someone. Hey man, be strong. Okay, but hey. Where do I start? What do I do? How do I, how do I be strong? Like, what if I'm not strong? I can't be strong. What do I do? It's a weird thing to say to someone. Hey, be strong. Okay. It's just a, kind of an empty pep talk. 
No one can just be strong. It takes work to be strong. But fortunately, there's a more literal translation than be strong. And maybe some of your versions say it. If you have a different version than ESV, I don't know. But really, this verse is saying, be strengthened. Be strengthened. It's a passive action of this verb. That the Christian is to be strengthened by something else. And this isn't, this isn't like the kind of strength that comes from a, a soldier who, you know, they're a, they're a prisoner of war or they're behind enemy lines and they keep on searching the horizon to see if rescue is going to come and they're strengthened by just that, that little glimmer of, of hope that they're not even sure is going to come true. Like, that's not the kind of strength this is talking about. But we are to be strengthened. The reality is the source of our strength is coming. The source that our strength is coming from or sorry, our, the source that our, our source of strength is not aiming at strengthening us merely physically or emotionally, though it can do that. But it's not aim, ultimately aiming at that. It's not some obscure, unidentifiable sense of strength. It's aiming at real strength for your soul. Soul strength. What is that? It's confidence. It's faith. It's, it's a will to obey. That's soul strength. I know what I believe. I'm confident it's true and I'm willing to obey. That's what it means to have your soul strengthened. And the good news is, because of Jesus Christ and because of the armor that's available to us, this strength is immediately available right here, right in front of you in Ephesians 6. You don't have to look far. You can reach out and grab it. But don't make the mistake. Don't, don't mistake strength with ease. God's Word doesn't say that through the Gospel and through the armor of God, this is going to be easy for you now. You're welcome. It doesn't say that. It says strength. Having strength means nothing, though, if you do not use that strength. Okay? So don't mistake strength with ease. We are given the strength through Christ. That doesn't guarantee ease. It guarantees victory when we use that strength. Okay. We're going to get more into all this. I'm going to help you know how to apply all this in future messages. So God's word calls us to look at the strength we already have in Christ, if you are truly in Him. And if you are truly in Him, you are... You've heard this phrase before. Acts like you've never heard this before. You are a child of God. Act like you've never heard this before. You are an heir of the King. Like, you get the king's inheritance. <laughs> Act like you've never heard that before. Like, that's, that's news. That is hope. And that king has handed down to you the armor of his son, Jesus Christ, who has already proven that this armor is useful and it will grant victory. Here Paul is saying, take it up. Pick it. It's right there. Pick it up. Use it. It's yours. It's from the king. It will work. This is what he's saying. And fight. Fight the battle that is already won if you would just fight. But before we forget that this armor is made up of multiple pieces, I'll make sure to say put on the full armor of God. Verse 11 now. The full armor of God. So, we should ask ourselves regularly, and again, we're still talking about being strengthened in the Lord. We need the Lord's strength for this war. We should ask ourselves regularly, if we're to put on the full armor, okay, then, then which part is it? Which part do I forget most common, most often? Which armor might I fail to pick up today? Which part might I leave tucked under my cot, hanging on the wall in the bunker, so to speak, tucked away? Which, wow, which piece did I forget today? What is it for you? What part of the gospel do you tend to fail to think on to help you walk faithfully with Christ? Maybe it's the whole gospel. Maybe it's the part that says, no, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Yes, you've sinned, but you're forgiven. The gospel tells you you're Maybe that's the part you, you tend to forget. I don't know. But it says take up the whole armor. The problem isn't usually that we fail to, to reach for the dagger on our belt. That's not usually the problem. 
The problem is usually that we left our dagger back at the barracks. <laughs> we left it in the bunker. We left it at our, at our house. Along with the rest of our tool belt. We left it. We, we left. We tend to do this. We leave the safety of our home. The safety of our, of our bedroom, for that matter. We enter into enemy lines where there's temptation and evil and the allurements of the world. And we think nothing of it. We think nothing of it. That's what we tend to do. And then later that day, we find ourselves trapped in this muddy marsh, unable to get out, and we're a wide open target for the enemy. Why? It's not God's fault. It's not the Bible's fault. The, the Bible didn't mess up. The Bible didn't fail to do its job. The gospel didn't fail to do its job that day, even though we read it. It's not that prayer didn't, didn't work. It's that we treat the armor of God like a cup of coffee or an energy drink. That's how we tend to treat it. We treat the Bible and the, and the armor of God like a cup of coffee or an energy drink. As if its purpose is to just kind of to just boost us for, I don't know, three hours. Just give me a boost. I need a boost. I need a little pick-me-up this morning. I do need a little pick-me-up this morning. We drink it and then we leave it. That's how we tend to treat the gospel. If we're honest, I'm accusing you right now. <laughs> but only because I can relate. Because I struggle with that as well. And so we have to confess that this is our heart toward our spiritual walk and our spiritual war. Confess the, speci the specific terrains of your life that you avoid doing battle in. Think about it. What are the specific terrains, the specific fields, the specific battlegrounds that you tend to ignore doing battle in? Here's a few suggestions. Could be laziness. That's not that big of a sin, is it? I don't think that's right up to Sexual sin. Envy. Bitterness. Anxiety. Discontentment. It could be the idol of success and perfection. Greed. Whatever. If any of these, or any that I didn't mention, are, are the weakest areas of your heart's defensive walls, then these are where the battle needs to be the fiercest. This is where the battle needs to start. If these are the areas that you're ignoring, the enemy will invade where the wall is the weakest. You know that. So every day we need to pray, God, cause me to work. Strengthen me to do so. Help, help me carry this gospel armor all the way through the day. God, give me, gospel, give, me, give me victory through the gospel today. And then you fight. So a checklist should be fresh in our minds of the armor of God, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, uh, peace faith, salvation, word of God, prayer. We need to grow in knowing what each of those means. Christians here to help you with that. Your leaders are here to help you with that. Your other pastors and elders are here to help you with that. You need to grow in knowing what these things mean and why they matter for every single day of your life. Are, are, are they with you? Are these things with you? Is the gospel with you, in your pocket, on your tool belt? Or are they within reach? Are you thinking about them? Are you trusting in them? Are you acting on them? Which, which facet, which truth of the gospel do I need to fight with next? Which one is it? Which weapon am I supposed to put up now, God? Help me understand. Here's this temptation. Here's this lie I'm tempted to believe. Which part of the gospel do I fight with? This is the way we need to learn how to think. Whatever the case, this is what a wartime mentality looks like. So why do we need this strength from God? We need strength from God to make it through this war. And it's because of what our second point is from verse 11. You need strength from God because it's the enemy you face. So point two, looking ahead, is the enemy we face. I'm be very brief on this, because tonight I'm going to go more in depth. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes. Yeah, schemes. The enemy you're against is scheming against you. He's plotting against you. He's planning against you because you are a child of God, if you're a child of God. 
The fact is, the devil is a schemer. He's a trickster. He employs strategies and tricks and lies and manipulation. He presents half-truths that look okay. And you're willing to accept the part that doesn't look so okay. So we can't be foolish to think that we can enter a battle on our own without our own scheme. And what should our scheme be? It should be to be equipped with the armor of God, right? John 8.44 says that the devil is the, the trickster of all tricksters. He's been a liar since the beginning, and he's been around for thousands of years, just to remind you, perfecting his art of scheming and tricking. Which means this battle, this war, it will be a struggle. It will be a real struggle, and it will require your mind to be firing on all cylinders every day. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? It is. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need His strength. But it will require work. And it's very clear why we're told to put on this armor of God. It says, verse 11, that you may be able to stand. You put on the armor, you use it, you will stand. It's a promise. It's said multiple times throughout the, gospel, uh, throughout the passage. And this is no natural standing, obviously. Like, I'm, I'm standing here right now. Like, I'm standing in Jesus. I'm here. I'm in a store, and I'm standing. Yes. It's not like that. This is holding our ground. This is being immovable. This is the kind of standing, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating, the language Paul uses in this passage is violent language. This is standing with your foot on the enemy's neck at the end of a battle kind of standing. That's what he's talking about. I'm, 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 I was victorious over temptation today. I was victorious over sin today. Look where it's laying. Because of Christ. That's the kind of standing that the armor of God enables us to do. Which means there's something to oppose. That means there's an enemy. And it is, it is the devil. We can't be so foolish to think that the enemy, the devil, the flesh, the schemes of the world, we can't be so foolish to think that they won't try to have the upper hand on us all the time. We can't be aloof to think otherwise. So, turn the tables. Be the hunter. Be the schemer. Why? Because... The devil is scheming. What does this look like? What does the devil's scheming look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It does not look like this. Here's sin. Want to take that? Here's some sin. Here, let me hand you this sin. Right here. Step on my cord. This is not what temptation looks like. Want this? Come get this sin. Here it is. Here's some addiction you can take if you want to. Here's some enslavement if you want it. Would you like it? That's not how temptation works. That's not how the devil's scheming works. He shows you this. Just one. Just one piece. Pretty soon you've taken another. Pretty soon you've taken another. You've believed another lie. You've given it again. You've manipulated another person. You've cheated again. You've allowed another idol to exist in your life. You haven't repented again. You haven't confessed your sin to someone. It's all okay because it's just one at a time, right? It's just one little thing. And pretty soon you have a whole chain around your arm and you're a slave to your sin. What an ear of thought you would be. That's how the devil works. He makes you build the chain. And he tricks you to think that you're not the one who's at fault. That's how sin works. That's how temptation works. It'd be nice if you just went like that. Because we're like, I'm not taking that. That's a chain. That, that locks me up. I don't touch those things. But he's crafty. He's a schemer. Are we able to pick up on these things in our daily walk, in our daily life? But this is how we, the temptation that we face. 
So know the enemy that you're against. We'll talk more about that tonight. Here's the third point. You'll need each other in this war. You're going to need each other in this war. You're going to need your church in this war. You're going to need peers in this war. You're going to need those older than you in this war. You're going to need your pastors. You're going to need your elders. You're going to need your leaders. You're going to need people that can keep you in check in this war. How do I know that? Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. This is crucial for us to understand in this passage. Every command in this passage is a plural command. Every single one. It's commanded to y'all. Greek uses y'all a lot. I don't know if you knew that. I like saying y'all. It uses y'all. You all need to do this. Church, fight. Church, put on the armor of God. Roots, put on the armor of God and stand. This, these, are, these are plural commands to each of us, which implies an understanding that we need to have that I depend on you, you depend on me, you depend on each other for this war. No one gets through any war ever who is only concerned about themselves. Nobody does. That means we need to talk to each other. We need to confess sin to one another. You also need to encourage one another. If you are in the Word, do you know do you know what the purpose of the Word is in your life? Is it for the knowledge of God? Yes. Is it for the knowledge of Christ? Yes. Is it for the knowledge of the Gospel? Yes. Is it for personal reflection? Absolutely. But there's this cycle that's incomplete if we don't go tell that knowledge to someone else. Why should you be in the Word every morning? Because your fellow soldier depends on you to be in the Word that morning. And to be in prayer that day. Morning, day, whatever, however you do it. Your fellow soldiers around you depend on you to be growing in Christ's likeness. And to be growing in the knowledge of God. We need each other in this war. Because what happens when my canteen runs out? What happens when my ammo runs out? What happens when my leg gets hit and I can't walk? What happens when I'm too scared to move forward? I need someone else to help me keep going. Right? I also need someone else to help me remember like, Hey, there's an end inside here. There's a goal. The war is going to be over one day. You get to be with Jesus Christ one day. The battle's hard. It's difficult. But you get to be with Christ one day. It will be over. So we need each other for this war. So it should be clear by now. Where do we find the weapons for this warfare? With the armor of God. The armor of God. It's the same armor our Savior wore. This armor took Jesus to the cross and then it raised him from the dead. And then it brought him to the right hand of the Father. And that's the armor the king passes down to you. So we're going to talk about how to put that on this weekend. So you'll need the strength of the Lord for this war. You'll need to know the enemy you face. You'll need to know, you'll, you'll need each other in this war. Our fourth point, which we won't get into right now, that'll be later in the weekend, but the fourth point is, you'll need to be steadfast in the war. This isn't, this isn't a short battle, um, and it's not one that we really get to rest from. But because of the hour of God, because of the church, because of God's word, we're able to endure, and it requires steadfastness. So that'll be the fourth thing we kind of learned this weekend. But to finish for now, let's answer one of the most important questions we could ask from this weekend. How can we know whether we have this walking and warring mentality? How can we know? How can we know whether we really believe this struggle is real or not? How can we know if we believe it? Let's ask a few questions. This is going to be challenging. Is there an area of persistent sin in your life you're not beating? Anger, fear, sexual sin, fear of man, judgmental, controlling, laziness, lack of self-control, discontentment, lying, manipulation, anxiety, sin-induced depression, doubt, greed, love of the world. Is this sin dominating your life? And, and, and are you not able to beat it? It might be that you don't have a walking and warring mentality. It's worth considering. Here's another question or a suggestion. Perhaps your faith in God, your, your trust in Him, your love for him 
your, your enjoyment of his word, things like these, perhaps these things aren't growing in your life. You lack the walking and warring mentality. Maybe you're losing confidence in the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're losing confidence in the, the reliability of God's word or the promises of your salvation. Maybe you're, you're tossed to and fro by all the different stories and, and philosophies and doctrines of social media and things like that. Then you don't have a walking and warring mentality. Do you lack interest in and zeal for the salvation of those around you? You look around even this room. Perhaps, we, perhaps there's people not saved in this room. You look around whatever, your homeschooling system or your public schooling system or your private schooling system or whatever you're a part of, you look around and you know there's unbelievers around you, but that fact falls cold on your heart. You probably don't have a walking and warning mentality. Are you hot toward the idea of holiness, but cold toward the idea of repentance? In other words, do you love the idea of becoming like Jesus? Like, yeah, that sounds so good. My life would be so much better. But when someone talks to you about repentance, you're like, yeah, but, like, that's hard. <laughs> repentance is hard. Can't I just have holiness? Are you hot toward the idea of holiness and cold toward the idea of repentance? You lack a walking and warring mentality. Have you become bored of your faith? You're, walking, you're missing a walking and warring mentality. And if any of us thinks we're doing just fine in any of these areas, including myself, we're lacking a walking and warring mentality. So I put myself in that camp. I need to grow in this as well. So all this proves we need the strength of God to change our hearts. Doesn't it? We need a better understanding of who our enemy is, and we're going to get that. And we're going to need each other for this war, and we're going to have to slug it out for the long haul, but eternity waits on the other end. But Christ makes all things new. There's no sadness, there's no pain, there's no death, there's no war, there's no sin. And our work is over for all of eternity. So we can slug it out for that. So leave you with this question. You might be walking with Christ, but are you warring with Christ? So we need to think about this weekend. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these challenging thoughts and words, these truths from your, your scripture. God, let them rest on our minds and our hearts so that we would be humbled. Lord, do look to the one who is humble and contrite and, and who trembles at your word. Lord, I pray that we would all tremble at your word. These are not, not light things to talk about, not even necessarily fun. But God, we need to consider the reality of sin, the reality of evil, the reality of our flesh reality of the lies of the world, and God, we need to consider how are we doing warring alongside Christ with his strength. But please help us be honest to you, honest to ourselves, honest toward those around us about how we need to be growing in these ways, God, and help us to pick up the armor and fight and pray. Amen.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jared, for this uh, There you are, Jared. to something that I feel like we think we talk about this subject so much, um, but even just like personally hearing some of this stuff and being edified by it, uh, we don't really talk about this stuff as much as we think we do. Um, sometimes we just give it like a passing um, comment about how it's a reality in the Christian life, but we don't really have any texture to it. And so I'm so thankful for um, Jerry just bringing that out. I'm excited for it the rest of this time. Um, before I give you small groups, Ashley, can you pass me the, the thing that's over there? Thank you, yes. So before I let you know your small groups, let me just give you a super quick charge, which is, uh, you know, when we come to retreat, there's so many things uh, that are so fun and so enjoyable. Uh, for some of us, it's just the idea of getting to play a bunch of games with everybody together is awesome. Um, just getting to have food, is really awesome and just like not have to share with somebody who had like 16 siblings. Uh, it's nice to just have your own stuff. And then for others of us, it's just like, I am so pumped to just have a whole weekend um, where I get to just spend time with my friends. And honestly, all of those are awesome and I get equally excited for all those things. But if you really, really wanna get the most out of retreat, the heart of retreat is what we're gonna go into, which is the small groups. Because everything that we're talking about just doesn't matter if if you don't spend the time processing it. Um, we're doing things a little bit differently this time. We're having smaller groups uh, with more leaders, and we're giving it up. You're probably going to be in a group with someone that you don't talk to very much. And the gut reaction is gonna be, I'm just gonna let this time go by so I can be with my friends again. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, the heart of retreat is really this time because uh, you need time to be able to process. In my experience with a lot of you guys, um, sometimes I have to begin a conversation just saying, this isn't a test. And the reason is because when you're around other people and you hear a lot of good Bible, um, it can really feel like every time someone answers, uh, asks you a question, there's some particular answer you're supposed to give. And that's not really how small groups are exactly supposed to work. When we have discussion questions, it's opportunity for you to take the information and think out loud. Um, and if you're giving information you're not actually thinking about or you don't actually believe, this time isn't going to bless you um, the way it's designed to. So when you get a question from a leader or you're in the Word or you're asking observations, just say what you're thinking. <laughs> just say what's actually on your heart. Ask the questions that you're nervous to ask. Um, ask the questions that you need answers to and reveal the different struggles you're going through or reveal the kinds of doubts you have. These leaders aren't here because they love the idea of getting uh, away on a weekend to judge you. Um, they're here because they wanted to get on a weekend to bless you and help you process those things. They'll be honest with answering questions they can, and they'll be honest answering questions they can't and telling you they want to process it um, or direct you to someone else they know who's going to do it okay. So as I announce these groups, start the weekend right by just plugging into those groups and enjoying them and processing how good it is to be free from your sin. Okay, give me a thumbs up if you agree with that. Awesome, I see thumbs up with everybody. Okay, so these are the groups. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna call the leader of the group, and then leader of the group, if you can stand up, just so everybody can get a look at you, just in case we have like new people in your group or people who don't know you as well. And then once I name the people in the group, you guys can go to the leader, and then you guys can leave, and you can decide together where you'd like to go. But go find a spot ASAP. Don't spend 15 minutes looking for a spot. You can find a spot that maybe isn't amazing and then pick a new spot for the evening together if you'd like to. So, group number one, Caroline. Caroline's in the back. Excellent. Good job, guys. All right, so Caroline's group is going to be Evangeline, Bailey, Isabella, and Mel. So the four of you guys can go to Caroline. Yes, very good. Because when it gets to the last boys group, uh, they're just going to pocket themselves. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, uh, the next group, Ashley and Ellie. Both of you guys. Um, so your guys' group is Rebecca, Katie, Sammy Baconis, Maya, and Kayla Kim. One clap. Strong. Listen for Caitlin's one clap. We'll see how, how good you guys can go be. Okay, next group is Jamie. There's Jamie. And in Jamie's group is Valerie, 
Noel B, Faith, and Eliana A. you guys can go with Jamie. Okay, uh, the next group is Deb. Where's Deb? There's Deb right there. And that group is Noelle C, Amy, Kennedy, and that's it. That's it, because there's another name that person's not here, so Okay, next group is Cambria, and that's going to be Madeline, Eliana Lee, Kaya and Sophia K. Ironically, I'm the one missing the class every time. Okay, and then the last uh, ladies group is Caitlin. So that group is going to be Kayla Sa, Emmy, Margo, and Amber. Nice. Good job, Okay, now the boys groups. Uh, John Shigematsu is right over here. So that's going to be Luke. Hi. Who's missing? Kaylee. Kaylee, you can go with um, uh, Deb's group. Um, if you go just around the corner, um, just double check if they're not gone. But Eliana and Sophia maybe can direct you there. Did you guys see where Deb went? Okay, Kaylee should be in Deb's group. I do have her and I miss her. Okay, boys group. So John Shigemux is going to be Luke, Elliot, and Matthew. Two class. Shirts. Because there's less of you. You need, you need encouragement. So the four of you guys can, can head out. Uh, the next group is my group. And that is going to be Tyrone, Cole, and Nathan. Two class. Awesome. So we'll, we'll chill this out because obviously I'm right here. Uh, will Lau's group. Will's right there. That's going to be Josiah, Isaiah, Christian, and Zach. So you guys can grab your stuff and you guys can head out. John Reed, right here. It's going to be Will, Kang, Titus, and Caleb. Three claps. Alright. Then we got Evan's group. Evan's right there. You can see him. And that's going to be Timothy, Cameron, and John Lee. Nice job. Okay, and then finally, last of all, we have Josh Beaster right there. And that's going to be Caitlin, Jaden, and Lincoln. Awesome. Did I miss anyone? Judah, you coming with. Judah, you can come with my Yeah. Tyrone. Awesome.